Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me today is retired NYPD detective, fan favorite, Phil Grimaldi, Joe Pesci lookalike. And we're going to actually talk about a case from California, occurred in Chula Vista, California, and it's actually a missing person case. And it's the case of Maya Malete. And there's, this case is not unlike a lot of cases that have occurred recently. The first case I thought about when I read this case was um, Jennifer Dulos, who was missing from Connecticut and uh, her husband uh, became a suspect. Let's go into some of the details of this case. Um, January 7th of this year, uh, it was a Thursday, and that's when Maya uh, basically went missing. And the police were never called to the home, even though uh, video surveillance cameras uh, reported numerous loud sounds, like a gunshot sound coming from the vicinity of this house. So the police never responded. Um, that day, Maya had met with a uh, divorce attorney. So her marriage was obviously falling apart. The next day, uh, January 8th, Larry Millette, the husband, he goes to the beach for 12 hours with the family Lexus. Uh, one of the things he did, which is very curious and a huge piece of circumstantial evidence, if in fact this becomes a homicide investigation, he didn't bring his cell phone. Who goes out without their cell phone unless they're committing some egregious act? And obviously he didn't want to bring his cell phone because your cell phone is a walking, talking GPS device that'll allow the police to track every step you've made. So that was January 8th, and he alleged, allegedly took his son with him to the beach that day. But uh, the police, I, I don't know if, in fact, it's very difficult to interview a four-year-old, uh, and I don't know if they were ever allowed to. On January 10th, uh, Maya Malete's family visits her home, and they speak with her husband, Larry. And they reportedly smell the smell of bleach, and bath mats are hanging over trash cans drying out. I mean, that's pretty damn uh, strong circumstantial evidence too. Not till January 11th did the police consider this a missing person case and start their search. Phil, why don't you uh, hone in on this and give us some of uh, your opinions on this? Thanks again for having me, Bill. A few things just to back up a little bit. Um, I mean, there's several, many things that jump out of this case and uh, they smell of, uh, you know, uh, foul play, obviously. Um, the one thing you were talking about with the cell phone going to the beach, he was missing for 12 hours. I don't know if they actually determined that he, in fact, did go to the beach, but he didn't take his cell phone. Now, generally, I've left my cell phone at home on occasion, maybe once in five years, but I uh, was able to make contact with uh, uh, my wife or whoever was at home and let them know I left my phone home. You know, you can't, don't, if you're looking for me, uh, you know, I'm not going to have the phone with me or I just returned home and I got it. So that's obviously a big thing that jumps out. 
you know, where he was trying to cover his tracks. Like you said, a cell phone is uh, basically a, a GPS device. It can give exact locations as it's pinging. Uh, even when it's turned off, it can give a general uh, uh, area of where the phone might be. But uh, going back to the gunshots, uh, the, he, there was uh, statements by him when the police do get involved. And I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But once the police do get involved, he makes a statement to the police that he had an argument on the same night that the gunshots were heard or these loud bangs were heard right in the area of the home. So there's a lot of uh, suspicion pointed in his direction right off the bat. Um, the smell of bleach is indicative of trying to uh, cover up blood evidence, uh, clean up blood evidence. That's uh, something you'd probably see in televisions and movies. Uh, if you watch crime scene uh, programs, uh, they have the couple there. They look like a very nice couple. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it doesn't look good for uh, Maya, Miss Millette, uh, at this point. But uh, going back to the garage smelling of bleach, that that's uh, that sounds very suspicious. Um, and it, it didn't sound like he had a real good answer for the family when they asked him about the bleach in the garage. So uh, if you want to pick up with the timeline, Bill, I think uh, we Well, you know, what? one thing I wanted to mention also <clears throat> was that if I left my phone home and I was going out for a long time, I would return home once I discovered I didn't have it to pick it up. So to me, that is very, very suspicious. Yeah, and you would, usually, you would usually, like when I get in the car, I usually, you know, plug my phone in. So you usually notice it's missing pretty quickly. So to return home probably wouldn't have been a big, I mean, even if it's five, 10 minutes away, you know, you're going to be out for 12 hours, you know. A hundred percent. And the other thing is, is that let's think about, okay, he didn't have a cell phone on. Now, what other devices are there for this car? Obviously, G, uh, easy pass, going through tolls. There's license plate readers that can track him to different spots. And there's video uh, along the road. So if he, in fact, went through tolls, that's going to take pictures of the car. This was a Lexus. I don't know if, in fact, some of these cars actually have an in, internal tracking device. I don't know if that's the case with this Le Lexus SUV. But if it is, that's one of the reasons the police took this car. The other thing is I would, depending on where he went, I would check the tires. What type of rocks or soil is embedded in the tires after that trip? Because that that car could is obviously could be a treasure trove of evidence because that car has to be considered a crime scene. I'm sure. And, you know, um, a lot of, you were talking about the vehicles having uh, sometimes it's a theft recovery system or the internal system within the car. You can track your service on your car, your GPS, your navigational work. You can find out where your car is at any moment. Um, a lot of the late model cars have that. My own car has that. Uh, uh, other cars in my family have that. But I think also maybe the evidence could be um, when he was missing for the 12 hours, perhaps there was uh, maybe a time frame when they think maybe he may have dumped uh, her body. So I'm sure they're going to go through the car really good and look for any evidence of blood within the car. Um, and like you said, uh, they may take uh, samples from the tires. I I'm sure there's going to be a way to track him to see if he was at the beach for that period of time. Like you said, plate readers, video cameras, uh, the easy pass, 
Phil, and, uh, on the screen, on the screen now, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, is their home, and the vehicle on the right is the Lexus that we're talking about, that black Lexus. So that's the car he used uh, on January eighth, uh, the, the the day after he had a huge fight with his wife. Potentially, may have found out that she was talking to a divorce attorney. Um, so. The other thing was he his behavior toward her was uh, very Zvengali like he was he had an app that actually tracked her. So that's I mean, I don't think that's normal behavior for most husbands. I don't think most husbands have an app that they track their wife with. So that type of behavior and the fact that their marriage wasn't doing very well. I mean, all of this, of course, when we talk about a Phil is circumstantial evidence but as we know circumstantial evidence piled high becomes very very strong evidence you want to touch upon that oh absolutely i mean if i were uh, in charge of this investigation um obviously i would have interviewed him immediately and got a good story out of him his whereabouts what he did he admitted to that argument and you kind of lock him in on you know, uh, a story. So now you got his story. Then once you start you're interviewing neighbors, they find out about the gunshots. Um, all of the things in the early part of this investigation are pointing towards some type of foul play and him being possibly involved in her disappearance. I would say that that's really a gimme at this point. Um, it took them a little bit of time to get a search warrant. I think they did the search warrant on the 23rd of January, and that's when they take the ve took the vehicle. Um, then they executed another search warrant later on down the line. It was four months, I believe, uh, April 1st. There was a search warrant at family members of Larry's uh, home where they recovered, uh, it said in the news reports, uh, several guns, and there was some evidence taken. It doesn't sp uh, specifically say what the evidence is, but I'm sure – over all this time, you know, she's missing now. It's going on close to five months, over four months. They're building a case. They're, 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 uh, they're recovering evidence. And in my opinion, and I'm sure you may agree, Bill, the, all the evidence at this point seems to point towards a foul play that she may be, she may be uh, deceased and that uh, he's got a lot of explaining to do at this point. Well, the, the other thing that also makes – and Phil – Let's talk. We were both homicide investigators. I was in Manhattan North homicide uh, for almost 10 years, one of the premier homicide units in, in, the, in the city, if not the world. And we know that in an investigation where there's suspicion in a family that someone may, a wife in this case, she's they're still uh, having her as listed as missing. But I don't think there's any doubt that this case is going to become a homicide case. And the number one suspect is always the person closest to her, which in this case is her husband. I mean, the, the press, they keep, you know, trying to say, oh, there is no person of interest yet. I mean, come on, how stupid are you? You know what I mean? And and if they believe that the police are saying there's no, then that's they, they should know from experience the husband is suspect numero uno, without a doubt. And the thing is, one of the things that makes us think even more so uh, that he is guilt is that he stopped cooperating and he lawyered up. Yeah, that's always uh, indicative of, you know, there's something to hide. But 
like you said, in this type of investigation, a missing person, possible foul play, you're going to shore up where that next of kin, the closest person to him, the husband, you're going to either make him eliminated as a suspect based on his alibi, his whereabouts, and what you can sustain to be the truth, or you're going to leave him in the, uh, you know, the pool of possibly being involved in some type of, uh, you know, suspicious activity uh, and being involved in her disappearance. So uh, I think those are the, the steps that you take in the early part of the investigation. Well, you know, you, we've all watched the show, The First 48, and uh, with the theory in Homicide that if you don't get a solid lead in the first 48, it makes it that much more difficult to solve. But I never totally bought into that theory or to that li little theorem because, you know, we've solved cases that we didn't get the right, even the correct direction in the first 48. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's, that's probably got some, there is some truth to that because, you know, it, it, like in this case, the police weren't called for the first couple of days. So the minute they got wind of it, I'm sure they, they probably completed a lot of investigation in the first 48 hours, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a good direction on where to go with the investigation. It just means that that's when the wheels start turning. All the investigators are brought in. I believe the FBI was brought in on this case. So a lot probably happens in the first couple of days, but that doesn't mean that it stops after 48 hours either, or that you may not turn up tremendously good evidence later on down the line. Sometimes, like you said, it could take, could take weeks or even years, you know? A hundred percent. And I think that people also, there's a, a, a picture of Maya Miliette. Uh, of course, the case still being handled as a missing person case, but I think anyone that's in the police business, the investigative business, knows that this is going to probably turn into a homicide investigation. Uh, all of the um, evidence is pointing in that direction. And of course, we would love to see Maya Miliette show up one day alive, but all the evidence is saying that that's not not going to be the case, you know, and um, let's just talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about the house here. Now, if in fact he killed her inside that house, they also got a late start on processing the potential crime scene. Uh, I think the family reported uh, on the 8th, um, maybe it was sooner than that. No, it was the 8th that they, um, they smelled um, excuse me, it was on the 10th, that they smelled bleach and bath mats were hanging over the trash cans, drying out. I mean, that is pretty damn st strong circumstantial evidence that he cleaned the crime scene. Yeah, I mean, that that's indicative of that. The other thing is, like you said earlier, we hope she walks through the door at this very moment and she's safe and sound. Doesn't appear to be that. She's got three children. I'm wondering if the ages of the children, if they were able to be spoken to about the whereabouts of where mom was during this uh, in early stages of the investigation. You know, Phil, I believe the kids are 11, 8, and 4. And allegedly, he says he brought the 4-year-old with him. Uh on the 8th to that 12 hour beach ride, you know? And I don't know uh, whether the children have in fact been spoken to. Um, I mean, I, I would think you would have to speak to the 11 year old and the eight year old. 
because yeah, that that would definitely be on my uh, radar screen to do. Um, I mean, if they were home when these gunshots or these loud bangs went off, um, they had to be alerted to that. I mean, you know, you, I don't think you could sleep through six uh, six gunshots. I think they said that there uh, there was a, a you know six loud bangs. So, I mean, although it's possible, but uh, I would definitely want to speak to the, the two older children for sure, like you said. Now, no, uh, go ahead. Was there something in the media that this guy owned the firearm? He owned the, the police uh, took a 357 from him and also later on did a search warrant and took numerous guns from him. Right. He owned lots of guns. Um, so I think they, they got a warrant saying that uh, – you know, that they didn't trust him to have the guns. Obviously, he's a suspect at this time. And um, they removed all the guns and he was bitching that his Second Amendment rights were being uh, violated by them taking his guns, you know. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's a difficult case, but cases like these get solved all the time. And we mentioned um, the Dulos case from Connecticut where I don't think they ever found um, Jennifer Dulos's body. And in fact, the outcome of that was her husband and his girlfriend were arrested. And then ultimately the husband, Fotis Dulos, committed suicide. Yeah, there was no body recovered in that as of yet. I believe there's still an active investigation going on there. They, uh, they still, he committed suicide, but they still have the girlfriend and I believe she's still facing charges. So, uh, this, you know, uh, this, they believe the body went into a landfill is what I remember on that case. So, you know, him being missing for 12 hours, he could have uh, killed her and, uh, you know, dismembered her body. And then uh, that 12 hour period, he could have drove to a, a secluded area, maybe near the ocean or a garbage dump. Anything's possible. And, uh, you know, the, the remains not being found all this time. I guess as time goes on, it's... Uh, a little bit less hope that the remains will be found, you know? I'm sure they're also, even though he left his um, cell phone at home and we don't know if she in fact had her cell phone on her, cell phones are a treasure trove of investigative information, even if he in fact left at home, text messages, you know? Right. Where was he the days and weeks before? Was, sure. he, th was he threatening her? Who was he calling? What even with her cell phone, I mean, she obviously had told she this is another huge piece of circumstantial evidence. She told her family uh, uh, before the seventh that if anything happens to me, you know that it's my, my husband is the one that killed me. So, I mean, she feared for her life. So Larry Miliette, she Maya told her family if anything happens to me. It's he's responsible. Yeah, that's another piece of circumstantial evidence that would probably, uh, you know, when you put all these pieces together, there's a big giant arrow pointing towards uh, Larry, you know. Um, I guess that that would really uh, account for her going to see a divorce attorney. And uh, there was obviously issues in the marriage. She was unhappy. She's telling her family that if something should happen to me, uh, it's going to be Larry that's responsible. So, uh, you know, all the warning signs seem to have been there. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like she was able to uh, pull herself out of this horrible situation before, uh, 
you know, something uh, terrible happened to her. Well, you know, Phil, she wanted out of the marriage and he obviously didn't want to let her go. He was obsessed with her. And evidence of that was that he had an app following her every move, you know, which was a crazy thing. Yeah. Now, as far as handling this as a missing person, you, of course, you have the community and her family, friends are searching all over the place. But in these cases, it's like at some point, I think even the people involved, the family members, they realize that this is maybe not a missing person case anymore. And it's turning toward potentially a homicide investigation. Yeah, I'm sure that the family, uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with having hope. And, uh, you know, but I think they probably came to the realization that uh, this is not going to turn out well for her. You know, in, in the NYPD, uh, at face value, this case, even though it's publicly a missing person case, obviously, because there's no, you know, they haven't found the body. They haven't made an arrest. They haven't, you know, proceeded with anything like a grand jury. So carrying it as a missing person. However, I'm sure, I know in the NYPD, the homicide squad, as well as the detective assigned to the case from the precinct, this would be running full steam ahead as a homicide investigation. I'm sure you can attest to that too, Bill. And, uh, you know, so even though it's publicly a missing person case and, you know, I think that, uh, that's probably the right way to handle it. I don't have any issue with that, but I'm sure that it's full steam ahead as a, as a, uh, probable homicide investigation. Well, Phil, one of the things too, is that, you know, and we tell our fans and the folks watching this is that, um, there is no statute of limitations. Uh, to homicide. So it is in the best interest of the prosecution to take their time, to, to be methodical, to, uh, sorry about that, to be methodical and to, to take your time and to make sure that you have all the evidence. I hate to use that expression, but have all your ducks in a row, you know. In fact, I hate that expression and I just used it. But have all your ducks in a row before you pull the trigger, before you pull down the hammer on this guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. It appears that, you know, she was uh, her fate was was not good. She met with a, a, a not a good fate. And uh, so, you know, them taking their time and being methodical, like you said, I think it's a good thing working along with the prosecutor's office for search warrants and different things like that. You know, time is on their side. And uh, I, I think that uh, based on everything I've seen, all the search warrants and stuff, it's probably, you know, his time of freedom is probably uh, coming to a quick end very shortly, I would think. Even though there's no body recovered, uh, I think he's going to probably be facing some uh, silver bracelets shortly. Well, let's talk about also when they go into the house and they process the potential crime scene. They use a bunch of chemicals, uh, luminol, for example, luminol. which can find a little tiny speck of blood. Uh, even though the person may have cleaned up the big part of the blood, potentially there could still be little specks of blood in certain areas. So these chemicals can help find that. Also, the high-tech digital cameras that they use with lasers enable them to uh, potentially find uh, gunshot holes in, in the walls or uncover a, the path of pot a potential gunshot. So th these cameras you know, they're probably much better than when I retired almost 10 years ago, but these are high tech. So they went over that house with a fine tooth comb. And if they need to go back and get additional search warrants, 
they'll do so. And uh, the same thing with that black Lexus. That is potentially a crime scene. That, in my opinion, potentially could have carried the body to wherever he, uh, if in fact he dumped it, to wherever he dumped it. Yes. I believe that they did, uh, They, from what I read, they executed a search warrant on the 23rd of January, but they went back a second time. I think that was when they uh, they may have taken the uh, the vehicle. Or, or, oh no, let me think. No. Uh, yeah, they, they did. You're, you're right, Phil. On the 23rd, they took the, the black uh, Lexus SUV. Right. That's when they took it. But then they went back a second time, and I think that's when they recovered guns and stuff like that. So... I mean, it sounds like they're right on top of it. They're all over it. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, it may not come to a good ending for this young lady, Miss Millette. But uh, it seems like they're, uh, you know, they're doing their, they're doing their thing. They're doing their due diligence to, uh, you know, recover evidence and, uh, you know, try and find out uh, where this young lady is. What happened to her? You know. Well, you know, we always, when in homicides, we always look forward to being able to interview the suspect. And in this case, the potential suspect, as the news, the news calls it, the person of interest, he's invoked counsel, which means uh, from the police point of view, you're not allowed to speak to him. So you can't interview him, you can't interrogate him. But there's, so you have to build a case without him I mean, his conduct can be looked upon as, you know, highly incredulous because he he almost didn't care. You know, here's his wife's missing. He said, oh, she took a hike. Come on, guy. You know, if you really were concerned, you would be out searching for her, right? You would be yeah. helping the police, not worrying about yourself and lawyering up and, uh, you know, not, not caring. And his behavior before this also, you know, he admitted to having – a big argument with her on January Thursday, January 7th. And then the next day he leaves with his four-year-old on a 12-hour beach uh, joint, you know? Yeah, that, that's very suspicious. And again, you know, cooperation with the police and investigators is going to help to eliminate you as a suspect if you are, in fact, innocent of any, you know, wrongdoing. So, uh you know, uh, those questions I'm sure were asked. He admitted the argument on the uh, on the night of the gunshots. And maybe uh, maybe he wasn't even at the beach. Maybe he never went to the beach. Maybe he went in a different direction. You know, I think the uh, the tracking of the vehicle and any evidence with regard to, uh, like you said earlier, about the tires on the car and stuff like that, that's all going to be. And, and if he went to the beach, the route that he took, I'm sure that there's video cameras along the way. I mean, if he tells me, Phil, one hundred percent, and those plate readers—they're all over the place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They read the plates, and if folks you don't know what they are, they have these plate readers that read thousands and thousands of plates uh, every every minute. Of it. they basically, as human beings, we're tracked everywhere we go, whether yeah. it's through our own cell phone technology with GPS, or through these uh, plate readers that are on major intersections. They're at toll booths. They're all over the place. They're actually they have mobile plate readers also. So something or someone tracked him and he was seen. So he's they're putting all of that potential evidence together. So he's not um, and as we say, and I you know, circumstantial evidence, uh, the definition is through what inferences may be drawn. That's what the actual uh, academic definition is. But when you pile up to you know 
tons and tons of circumstantial evidence, it becomes very, very strong evidence. And that's, that's how prosecutors can get a, a murder conviction without recovering the body. Yes. Uh, like you stated about the uh, surveillance cameras, I believe the gunshots were actually picked up on, you know, it's a residential area. If you put the picture up of the home, uh, it looks like a residential area. A lot of people with those ring cameras, and I believe that's how they picked up on the gunshots. So if he went out of the house, they probably have video of him leaving on that day that he was missing for 12 hours. And wherever he went, there may be surveillance cameras at the parking lot of the beach. If he went there, uh, that might, you know, yield some uh, evidence. It may show he wasn't there. You know, if he said he went to parking lot A at this beach and there's a surveillance camera there and they get can get that video and, uh, you know, he never drove into that parking area. Well, then you weren't at parking lot A at that beach, you know. So I'm sure that uh, maybe that's what caused this guy to eventually lawyer up when they started to punch some holes in the statements they made. That, again, going back to what I said earlier, when you when you uh, have a missing person case and you talk to the, the closest next to kin, like you said earlier, they become a person you want to talk to right away. Get a good story down. You have a good, where were you yesterday uh, before this uh, missing uh, person was re being reported or the days before and what happened? And once you have a good story, now you can go back after you check out and you, you know, you want to check an alibi or you want to check something like this. He was at the beach and you can go and get those video surveillance cameras and he's not there. Now you go back to him and say, well, you told us on this day you were there. Are you sure you were at parking lot A? Because we have the video. Now he gets raised up and maybe uh, after a few of those, uh, you know, comebacks is when he's lawyering up. I don't like the way this thing is going and I have a right to an attorney and, you know, and that makes him even more, you know, in our eyes as investigators, what does that do? That makes him look more guilty, you know? Yes, absolutely. You know, I always loved in homicide cases, timelines, because very few people can, when you have a very specific uh, timeline laid out, very few people can beat the timeline and lie against the timeline, you know, because None of us are that specific. Oh, look, someone calls you, then you have a frame of reference. You've got a call at a certain time. Oh, it was right a few minutes after so-and-so called me, but he didn't have his cell phone on. And that was for a very specific reason. Yeah. He didn't have his cell phone. You know? Absolutely. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Anybody that starts to they're going to commit this horrendous crime, whether it be a murder or a kidnapping. The minute you start to think about it, you're already making mistakes that investigators are going to, you know, we're going to uncover them and we're going to try to uh, look at different things. So from the minute you're even in the planning stages of something like this, you've already made mistakes and you're going to continue to make mistakes. And he's, you know, the bleach and all of these different things, a lot of mistakes were made. Um, there really is no perfect murder. And, uh, you know, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's all the things that these investigators are, uh, are looking into. Phil, I just got to take a quick break for our sponsors. Sure. Folks, if you're looking to leave the New York City area to maybe move down to sunny Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Carol Waters is a realtor down there. And uh, you can contact her at carolwaterssellsmyrtlebeach at gmail.com. She's part of the Beach Realty Group. Uh, she used to be a bartender at Fitzpatrick's Hotel in New York City for over 20 years. And her husband, Rob Mayen, was a NYPD rollover to FDNY 
And now they're down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, living large, selling all kinds of houses. So if you want to give them a call at 914-261-6681, that's carolwaterscellsmb at gmail.com. The other thing is we got a sponsor who's a huge um, a huge supporter of Police Off the Cuff. He was a former member of the service, former police officer, who made good. He became an attorney. Uh, Joseph W. Murray. And Joe Murray has a website, jmurray-law.com. If you need legal advice, he's the guy to go to. So, Phil, I, I mean, this is a, a national case. So many people are interested in this case right now because it's, you know, whenever you see a family broken apart, three young kids, a really beautiful mother, you know, Maya, and a husband that it seems is, you know, suspect numero uno. And, you know, the police are working hard on it. They're trying to put a case together. And all of us watching this, of course, we want closure. You know, but it's going to take it's going to take time. Yes, as uh, as the time goes on, I'm sure investigation is going to continue, and the opportunity or the chance that her remains are found and recovered uh, are still quite possible. Um, you know, there may be things that we don't know about that haven't been reported in the news that the investigators are looking into as far as where to look for her. Um, one of the other things going back to him, the suspicion of him not joining in on searches. I believe there was these searches that go on every weekend and he doesn't take part in it. I mean, that's a telling sign right there. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, psychologically, he knows she's not going to be found in these search areas or by searching. He knows she's dead. And so he's not going to take part in that, you know? Yeah. That, that's a real, that's a real shame. She is a lovely young looking young lady. And, uh, and you, you know something, they were, um, they were high school sweethearts. So they met when they were, I think, 18 years old. So they're probably their first and last, you know, it looks like, you know. Uh, and they have a beautiful family. And uh, apparently, you know, she was, uh, she wanted out of this marriage. And, yeah, that uh, sounds like, uh, you know, this childhood sweetheart thing. That sounds like the profile of somebody who's very obsessive compulsive he, he he was trying to control her he had this app on her phone he's been obsessed with her since they were very young it sounds like so uh, more and more as we talk about this i mean you know uh it's really looking very very grim for larry you know i mean and there's another part that we didn't talk about i mean i'm sure that the investigators must have, if she has friends, co-workers, I'm sure they investigated and interviewed all of those people. And they probably put a profile maybe from her social media together to see who she was talking to, let's say, on social media, to see if, you know, the possibility still exists, innocent until proven guilty. Maybe there was someone else who was uh, who was stalking her or something like that. And you want to eliminate these those things too, you know. So I'm sure that they really profiled her good, look, look deep dive into her you know, her social media, her computer, uh, where she works, her friends, do all of those, uh, you know, those interviews and investigation. And uh, again, if all of those things turn out to be dead ends, then the arrow gets even bigger and larger pointing towards Larry for, uh, you know, being uh, involved and responsible for her disappearance. 
you know, Phil, they have not just the uh, Chula Vista police, they got the FBI, the San Diego County District Attorney's Office, and the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, because I believe she was a civilian employee for the Navy. So they're obviously looking, helping out, looking into this. Everyone is, uh, of course, uh, hoping that she turns up alive, but it's, it, it's going on the fifth month that she's been missing. And we've been involved in these cases before, and we know the likelihood of her turning up alive is, is not good. I mean, just look at the fact on the face value. She's got three children. What mother would stay away from their three children for that long a period of time without making contact? So that right there, that's the biggest red flag for me right there. And then all these other things, all the evidence that we have gone through and all the, you know, the research that the investigators did, the interviews, the investigation. And as far as uh, the Navy criminal intelligence being involved, that's a great thing. I mean, the more the merrier on a case like this, you know, there's probably a lot of things that need to be, uh, you know, done and looked at. So FBI, the, the local police, uh, the NCI, that's great. Uh, I'm sure they're going to, they're going to put together and they're going to have a successful conclusion to this investigation. I, I feel very confident in that. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame uh, the kids are without a mother, you know, absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. an obsessive, um, obsessive father that, uh, you know, I guess he couldn't face life without her, you know, life without his wife who he was with since he was 18 years old and is the mother of his three kids. But, uh, you know, that's why I said it's so when they talk about a person of interest, uh, <clears throat> of course, he's the person of interest, you know, but uh, I just I, I, I know I know that the press is always fed that by the police department, because let's face it, the police department has to keep a lot of things close to the vest and keep things uh, evidence not out in the public, you know, and there's many reasons for that. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, we're hoping for the best, but it doesn't seem that it's going to be that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, as oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, in a lot of these cases where the husband kills the wife or the wife kills the husband, unfortunately, the children wind up losing two parents. That's the real tragedy here. Their mother is probably not with us anymore. And if he's eventually charged and goes to jail... They lose two parents. Although it sounds like she has a caring family on her side, they'll probably, you know, be able to take care of the children. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of things, but uh, that's the unfortunate thing in cases like this. If there's children involved, they lose not only the parent who's been killed, but they lose the other parent who's responsible for the murder. I mean, imagine having to carry that weight on your shoulders throughout life. You know, your husband, I mean, your your father or your mother was killed by your mother or your father. That's a big uh, big burden to carry around, you know? You know, Phil, they, uh, some folks in the chat reminded me that he took a juvenile arrest. He was in a gang, and he stabbed another gang member. So he does have the propensity for violence in his background. Absolutely. And, um, you know, why do we bring that up? Because it does show that <clears throat> the person's personality and that they are capable of doing something like this. He's done it in the past. He stabbed someone in the past. So, Well, it shows to me what you just said. He's no stranger to a knife. He's used a knife. He's got a propensity towards violence. He was in a gang. Again, as we go on, the more things we look at, the more things we uncover, 
you know, it's uh, it's pointing at, it's pointing a big finger at him. Yeah, and you know something, they just need a couple of pieces of evidence, maybe one more piece of evidence. We don't know. We're not privy to the case or the case folder, but I'm sure they've collected a lot of evidence. They've done over 20-something search warrants. Uh, so some of the things that may not seem important to uh, the public, we know are important, you know, uh, cell phone records, uh, financial records, all of these things help to build the circumstantial case when you haven't, in fact, uh, found a, a body. Yeah, you know, Bill, the uh, the fact that no body has been found, that's uh, indicative of maybe why they're not moving ahead with an arrest. And also, they may be looking to see what his actions are going to be going forward. Maybe he's a life insurance policy. And maybe, the, you know, the prosecutor wants to be able to say, well, not only did he kill her, but he collected on the insurance policy. You know, so this time is on their side. If the body is recovered tomorrow, let's say, I think there would be a quick arrest after that. Because that's when it goes from a missing person's case publicly to a homicide investigation. And with all of this stuff, I think they would take him into custody pretty quickly. But again, maybe they're monitoring his activities. They're going to see, uh, you know, how he's going to react to different things. If there's an insurance policy, stuff like that. So, uh, and maybe he's going to, who knows, maybe there's uh, a friend he's going to confide in or something like that. There's always those possibilities, you know, and there could 100%. also be, someone very close to him that might be working with law enforcement too. So you never know. So, uh, someone in the chat, Gordon girl says, why not get divorced instead? He and others choose murder. And I think that we sort of tried to outline that for you, that he's sort of an obsessive guy. And he had that sort of thing. If, if I can't have her, no one's going to have her, you know, you, you know, Bill, I dealt with a lot of domestic violence cases over the years and I had situations where I was pulling up in front of the precinct one time and a car came screeching up and a young lady jumped out of the car and she's, Oh, my boyfriend, he's, he's fine. And, and here he comes and he pulled up and we said, okay, you go into the station house to the young lady. We'll be with you in a second. We grabbed the guy and we said, listen, buddy, uh, your girlfriend, you know, they were young kids. They were probably in their twenties. Your girlfriend doesn't want you to be around her. You know, he wouldn't leave. We actually, we, we tried to tell him, listen, you know, go take a walk, leave your girlfriend alone. He was following her from home. She was going out and he wanted to know where she was going. We actually had to arrest the guy. He had such a, a blinders on about that. He didn't care. I mean, he pulled in front of a police station and got out of the car and detectives uh, grabbed him and he still wouldn't stop. No, no. And, and we were going to make her leave. And when, when uh, she got, you know, she came back out of the precinct, was getting in the car to leave, he stopped, went to jump in his car, and that's when we had to arrest him, you know. It was really uh, – so going back to what that young lady commented in the chat, when you have someone who has this uh, obsessive-compulsive behavior and they're possessive of, over another one, they don't see anything about, you know, like carrying on their life for the divorce. They only see one thing. It's – she's mine. I got to have her. And if I can't have her, nobody else could. And unfortunately, there's there's been many of those cases. I'm sure you've had a couple of those too, where you, you, you look at the person and you say, how could you be acting this way? You know, this is, this is not the end of the world. There are other fish in the sea. There are other, you know, and, and you just can't, you know, you can't believe it. And, and this guy, if he is guilty of, you know, uh, bringing uh, his wife, you know, to uh, some, some, harm 
he did it to his children now, you know, and, and, yeah. and to do such a thing, to have blinders on like that, that really says a lot for his mental state, you know? 100%. You know, Phil, we uh, have reached almost 43 minutes, and I, I said that we would try to do this between 30 and 45 minutes. Okay. So we're at that point, and I, I would like to give you an open invitation to come back and we'll discuss this case again. And uh, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And uh, we've seen cases like this before. And unfortunately, there's not going to be a happy ending. We would all like to see closure to this case. And the person that, in fact, if this does become a homicide, the person that's responsible gets arrested and uh, held, held responsible for this. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, please keep me posted. I would love to comment on it going forward. And uh, in our professional opinions from what we see, I think we both agree that uh, this is not going to end well for Miss Millette. No, I, I don't think it will. Anyway, all you uh, police off the cuff fans, real crime stories. I want to thank my guest host, Phil Grimaldi, who's going to be big in the podcasting business. I also want to thank Duty Ron, who actually gave me a heads up about this case and gave me some good information to uh, pursue here. And uh, we're going to keep following this case and other national cases like this on police off the cuff, real crime stories. And when it has something to do with potentially um, homicide, I will definitely have uh, retired detective Phil Grimaldi from Brooklyn. I know you guys love his Brooklyn accent and, uh, I'll have him back to do these cases with me. So all you all you folks watching, thank you so much for watching. Phil, thanks for uh, being my co-host today, and uh, have a great night. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. I care, though.